Amen. Well, take your copy of God's Word and open it with me to the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations, chapter 3, and we'll read in a moment starting in verse 22. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 26. Next week, we will resume our series uh, in the Gospel of John, and I am uh, definitely looking forward to that. But for this morning, for this new year, Lamentations chapter 3, we'll start in verse 22. Years ago, there was a French theologian who said that there are three keys to a stress-free life. Now, I'm not sure on this side of heaven there is such a thing as a stress-free life, but I like his three keys. He said, with your past, trust God's mercy. With your future, trust God's sovereignty. And right now, in the present, trust God's faithfulness. I like that. I do not know what 2023 is going to bring, but I do know this. I know that whatever happens, good or bad, God will be faithful. Whatever God does will be for a purpose. Whatever God allows will be for our good and for his glory. And knowing that God is faithful and will be faithful, we have nothing to fear. When we talk about God's faithfulness, we're simply saying that God always does what he says he will do. He keeps every promise. He's always reliable. He never fails. He never disappoints. In fact, as we read through the scriptures and what it says about the faithfulness of God, we see that God's faithfulness is at the core of who God is. For example, Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God. Did you get that? If God were to ever be unfaithful, that would violate his nature. That would violate his character. Faithfulness is part of what it means for God to be God. You think about all of the different attributes of God we talk about. God is holy. God is sovereign. God is good. But what good is it to say that God is holy if he is only holy some of the time? We need for God to be faithfully holy. What good is it if God is only sovereign some of the time? We need him to be faithfully sovereign. We need for him to be faithfully good and faithfully omnipotent and all of these things. Well, this morning we're going to start off this new year by reading a brief passage about the faithfulness of God. The book of Lamentations, if you do not know, was written by Jeremiah the prophet during one of the darkest moments of ancient biblical history. Uh, this happened around 586 BC. Now, when you hear the year 586, that probably means very little to you, but it meant everything to them. 
For example, if we're talking about dates and I just mention 9-11, you all know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the terrorist attack that took place on September the 11th, 2001. Well, likewise, 586, or that year as the Jews counted them, that year meant everything to them because it was in that year that the Babylonians came one final time and they conquered Jerusalem, they destroyed the city and the temple and the walls. They sent many of the Jews into exile. And so when we read this book, we see that even Jeremiah, even Jeremiah at times was tempted to question the faithfulness of God. This is a book that is full of tears. It is probably the saddest book in all of the Bible. It's been called the wailing wall of the Bible. At one point, Jeremiah was literally sitting on a heap of ashes. Some of you may feel like this morning you, you are sitting on the ash heap of life, but it's not a city that has burned down, but perhaps it's your marriage Perhaps it's your family, maybe it's your health or your finances or your dreams that have burned to the ground. If you've ever felt that way, then this passage is for you. There are five chapters in this book and it's full of doom and gloom and it's full of sadness, but then in the very middle of this middle chapter of the book, it's as if the clouds part and there's this bright ray of hope that shines through. Jeremiah says, even though my worst nightmares have come to pass and even though I am heartbroken, there is one thing that I can choose to meditate upon, one thing I can think about that gives me hope and as we will see that one thing was God's faithfulness we're just going to look at four verses this morning so if you will I'd like you to put those verses on the screen and we're going to read them out loud together before we begin to break this passage down Lamentations chapter 3 read out loud with me starting there in verse 22 through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Amen. Someone once said that this passage is like an island of hope in an ocean of despair. And in these few verses, there are three things about God's faithfulness that he notes that leads him to do certain things. When I think about God's faithfulness and when I begin to understand God's faithfulness, here is what I will do. Here is what we should do. First of all, be grateful for God's mercy. Be grateful for God's mercy. Notice again in verse 22, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Through the Lord's mercies. Some translations say because of the Lord's mercies. 
That word for mercy is that word hesed that we've talked about so many times. One of the deepest and richest words in all of the Hebrew Bible. It oftentimes translates mercy. It refers to God's love, his kindness, and there's an emphasis on the covenant. Hesed is God's covenant love. God is in a covenant with his people. And even though his people had rebelled against him, and sometimes God has to discipline us, he still is faithful. He will always be faithful to keep his end of the covenant. Now, the first part of this chapter, I'm not going to read it all, but Jeremiah uses some of the most vivid language in order to describe the plight of God's people. And I just want you to listen to some of this and see if you can relate. Jeremiah, or, uh, he says, I've seen affliction. He said, it's as if God's hand is against me. My bones are broken. He said, I'm surrounded by bitterness and woe. He said, I'm trapped and I can't get out. He said, I'm desolate and I'm torn to pieces. He said, my teeth are broken. I'm covered with ashes. Peace is far from me. I've forgotten prosperity. He said, my strength and hope have perished. Now you put all of that together, is it just me? Or does that not sound like a man who is having a very, very bad day? But it's after saying all of this that he comes to verse 22 and he says, because of God's mercies, we are not consumed. Do you understand the implication here? If God were not faithful to his covenant, we would have been consumed. We deserve to be consumed. But because God is a covenant-keeping God, we are not consumed. There's a question that a lot of people love to ask, especially skeptics. Man's been asking this question for thousands of years. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? You ever heard that question? You ever asked that question? It's not a bad question, but it's not the best question. Let me give you a better question, the question we ought to be asking. Why does God allow good things to happen to sinful people? That, my friends, is the real mystery. If we truly understood how holy God is and how sinful man is, that is the question that we would be asking. C.H. McIntosh once said, 10,000 mercies are forgotten in the presence of a single trifling moment. How often have we seen that? A man or woman who trusts in the Lord when all is going well, but then one trifling moment comes along and suddenly they forget all about God's mercies. Years ago in 1989, I was in high school at the time. I remember, many of you who are old enough may remember, a terrible earthquake that took place in San Francisco, California. It did great damage to the city. About 42 people died. In the days after, they had a memorial service, and the whole community was invited. Thousands and thousands of people came, people who would never step into uh, a church or people who would never hear the gospel. 
And that great preacher from Los Angeles, E.V. Hill, who died a few years ago, but he was invited up to come and preach that memorial service. And in that service, he made the following statement. He said, we ought not complain. God allowed it to last 11 seconds. It could have lasted 11 minutes. God allowed it to be a 7.8. It could have been a 10. That's very similar to what Jeremiah is saying here. If God had given us what we deserved, we would have been wiped off the earth. And the only reason why we were not completely destroyed is because of God's faithfulness. You see, God made a covenant with his people. He promised Abraham a nation would come through him. And from that nation, a Messiah. Through that Messiah, all nations would be blessed. And it is because God could not and would not go back on his word that even though Israel had turned away from him, he continued to be faithful. Now that's true in Jeremiah's day, that's true in our day as well. We are not consumed, even when we stray, we are not consumed because God is faithful and will do for us everything he said he would do. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Yes, sometimes God will allow us to be hard-pressed and perplexed and persecuted and struck down, but we will not be crushed or in despair or forsaken or destroyed because God is faithful. And so, first of all, be grateful for God's mercy. But then something else we see in this text, be confident in God's record. Be confident in God's record. Verse 23 says, they are new every morning. Say these words with me. Great is your faithfulness. I've always been amazed by the last part of verse 23. Jeremiah, he's thinking about God's mercies. It's as if he just can't hold it in. He cannot help himself. And so he just cries out and says, great is your faithfulness. And what amazes me is how Jeremiah is declaring what he knows to be true according to God's word, even though it went against his senses and what they told him. For example, his eyes saw a smoldering city. His ears heard the cries of orphaned children and widows. His nose could smell the decay of those who had been killed by the Babylonians. That is what his senses told him. And yet, in spite of that, Jeremiah says, great is your faithfulness. Now, how can he do that? Well, go back to the first part of that verse. They are new every morning. What's new? God's mercies, his hesed. Every single morning, God has mercy for us as if we had never needed it before. Isn't that a great thought? 
That means that whatever the day throws at you, God will match it. Whatever 2023 brings to you in the way of trouble or trials or temptations or loss or adversity, God will match it with the hesed that we need in order to not just get through it, but to be more than conquerors. This Hebrew word for morning, their new every morning can also be translated daybreak or sunrise. Jeremiah is comparing God's faithfulness to the faithfulness of the rising sun every single day. In other words, if you want to know how faithful God really is, he says, just look at God's faithfulness in creation. Notice how faithful it is. God is so faithful that meteorologists can tell you what time the sun is going to rise and what time it's going to set today and tomorrow, a month from now, a year from now, many years from now. God is so faithful, we can know exactly when the next eclipse will take place. God is so faithful, we can know exactly when Halley's Comet will come to visit us once every 76 years. All of this is because God's faithfulness is marked by consistency in creation. And we not only see consistency in creation, we see consistency in God's Word. I mentioned at the Christmas Eve service, there are over 3,000 promises in the Word of God, and not one ever has or ever will fail. You think for just a moment about all the promises that God had already made and God had already kept by the time that Jeremiah wrote these words that God promised to make Abraham a nation, and God kept that promise. And God promised to deliver his people from Egypt, and he kept that promise. He promised them manna in the wilderness, and he gave it. He promised them Canaan as their possession, and he delivered it. He promised to preserve them, and he did it. These are all promises that Jeremiah could point to that God had made and God had already kept. In fact, do you realize that before Jeremiah preached this sermon for 40 years, he had been preaching to the people that the Babylonians would come and Judah would fall. And for 40 years, he said, hey, this is God's promise. It's going to happen. Get ready. And do you realize that in 40 years of preaching and warning the people, he didn't have one convert, one person that he could point to who was saved as a result of his preaching. I don't know how I could get through four decades of preaching without seeing anyone responding, without seeing anyone repenting. And yet he told the people, this is what God said that he's going to do. Nobody believed him. And then 40 years it happened exactly as God said. Now that's the kind of promise we would rather God not keep. But God said he would do it and he did it. Jeremiah had all these promises that he could point to that God made and God kept. Now, here we are in the New Testament. We have those promises and so many more. Think about all the messianic prophecies, all of those promises that were made and kept in the coming of Christ. In 2 Samuel 7, God promised he would be a son of David And then in Micah 5, God promised he would be born in Bethlehem. 
And Isaiah 7, God promised he'd be uh, conceived of a virgin. And in Isaiah 53, God promised he would be rejected by his own people. In Zechariah 9, that he would enter Jerusalem triumphantly. In Zechariah 11, that he would be betrayed. In Psalm 22, God promised his hands and feet would be pierced. In Psalm 16, God promised that he would be raised from the dead. And in Psalm 68, God promised that he would ascend back into heaven. And so I ask you this, was God faithful to keep each and every one of these promises? Yes, yes, and yes. Amen, amen, and amen. Over and over again, God kept all of these promises. And so it stands to reason, if God has been perfectly consistent in keeping his promises in the past, we can trust that he will be consistent. He will be faithful in keeping his promises to us today. And there are so many when you're tempted to give up. There's that promise in 1 Corinthians 1.8. He will keep you strong to the end. And in the very next verse, verse 9, he tells us why. Because God is faithful. When you're tempted to, to give in to temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 gives us a promise and says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That is a promise. When you're tangled in sin, 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a promise. By the way, this is also why it is so important that we regularly praise God and thank God for what God has already done. Not only because God is worthy of our praise, but also when we praise him and thank him for what he has done in the past, We are training ourselves and we are reminding ourselves of God's faithfulness in the present so that we are more likely to trust him. So be confident in God's record. One more thing in these last few verses that we notice, be patient with God's promises. Be patient with God's promises. Look at verse 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. When Jeremiah wrote these words, he didn't have much to be hopeful about. A city ruined, the temple demolished, women widowed, children orphaned, the maimed, the injured left to die, the treasury had been plundered, young men and women in chains being carted off to a distant land. Even their king had been captured. His sons were slaughtered, and then his eyes were plucked out, so the death of his sons would be the last thing he would remember seeing. And yet, Jeremiah says in verse 24, the Lord is my portion. That means he's my inheritance. It's as if Jeremiah is saying, I don't have it now, but I will in the future. He's looking ahead. 
Right now, he says, I'm devastated. Right now, I have nothing. But the Lord is my portion. And if I have him, that's enough. So I will wait, Jeremiah says, as long as it takes for him to give me good things, whether in this life or in the next. And until then, regardless of my circumstances, I will keep saying that God is faithful. Eventually, God did bring his people back into the land. Eventually, God did bring down Israel's enemies. Eventually, the temple was rebuilt The walls were restored. God did all of these things. But listen to this. Jeremiah never lived to see it on this side of heaven. And yet he still says, great is your faithfulness. And this is why he follows in verse 25 and says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Yes, Jeremiah says, the Lord is my portion. Yes, I have an inheritance, but I know there's going to be some waiting involved. We see something here in in these last couple of verses that actually occurs numerous times in the book of Lamentation. We notice how the words wait and hope are paired together together. We are not only to wait upon the Lord, but we are to wait in hope. By the way, did you understand there's a difference between the two? There is a difference between waiting and waiting in hope. You wait for hours at the DMV and you grumble and you complain the entire time you're there, but that is not the kind of waiting that Jeremiah is talking about here. That's waiting, but that's not waiting in hope. To wait in hope means that as you wait, you acknowledge the good of God, you trust in the promises of God, and you determine that you are going to live your life in light of that reality in spite of your circumstances around you and in spite of your feelings at the moment. Jeremiah understood this because it was through this same prophet, Jeremiah, that God revealed that the exile would last for 70 years. 70 years. Years. So for Jeremiah, the waiting that he is talking about in verses 25 and 26, this waiting would require him to wait for the rest of his life. It meant waiting in hope without ever seeing the thing that he was waiting for on this side of heaven. I greatly fear that sometimes we read this passage, and I know that this is a favorite of many, but I fear that sometimes we read these words and we fail to grasp what they really mean. For example, sometimes we say, great is your faithfulness, but what we really mean is this, I was broke, but you gave me money. Great is your faithfulness. Or we think, I was sick, and you healed me. Great is your faithfulness. 
I was unemployed, but you gave me a job. Great is your faithfulness. Now praise the Lord when God does any of those things, but that's not what Jeremiah is saying here. Jeremiah is talking about the faithfulness of God even though every indication is he will never live to see God restore the land and do the thing that he's waiting on God to do. So here's what Jeremiah is really saying. It's as if he's saying, when the pantry is bare, great is your faithfulness. What he's really saying is, when I am sick and I don't get better, great is your faithfulness. He's saying when the pink slip comes, but the job offers do not follow, great is your faithfulness. Whether or not I can see it does not change the fact that great is your faithfulness. One man who understood that very, very well was a man by the name of Thomas Chisholm. He was born in a log cabin in Tennessee in the year 1867. He grew up in abject poverty. He was not raised in a Christian home. But when he was 27 years old, someone invited him to a revival service. He heard the gospel preached, and he had what was a life-changing experience with Jesus Christ. And he gave his heart and his life to the Lord that day. It wasn't long after that that Thomas Chisholm believed in his heart that God was calling him to preach. And he understood that the call to preach is also a call to prepare. So he dedicated his life to doing everything he could to prepare himself to be the best pastor he could. This was a man who had very, very little education. And so he went to school and he worked his way through and he did all the studying and he took all of the tests. And eventually he graduated and he was ordained and a church called him and finally he made it. His dream was fulfilled, and Thomas Chisholm was a pastor for one year. That's it. After years of training and preparing, he was a pastor for one year. You say, well, what happened? His health took a turn for the worse, and even though he lived many more years, he lived in a very weakened state, and he simply could not do it. He simply could not fulfill his responsibilities, and so he was forced to resign. He sold insurance the rest of his life, and he admitted that he was terrible at it. But he made just enough money to put food on the plate, and that was about it. And yet, even then, he never stopped believing in the faithfulness of God. He once wrote, I must never fail to record the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God. Thomas Chisholm wasn't able to preach like he wanted to, but he was able to write poems. He wrote about 1,200 poems, and you haven't heard of any of them because they were all forgotten except for one. There was one poem that he wrote, 
And a man in Chicago saw a copy of it. He was so moved by it, he was so stirred by it, that he prayerfully wrote a melody to go along with it. He began to sing it. And then years later, there was this young up-and-coming preacher that at that time nobody had ever heard of before named Billy Graham. And when he heard this man from Chicago singing this this poem that Thomas Chisholm had written, he said, I want that to be sung at my crusades night after night after night. And all of a sudden, a poem that no one had ever heard of and a song that no one had ever heard of became one of the most popular, one of the most famous songs of all time in English and in many other languages as well. And the words go like this. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. You know how the rest of it goes? My voice is weak, you're going to have to help me. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. He is faithful. And that is why you can trust him with everything, with your life, your salvation, and your eternity. Would you join me as we pray? Our Lord and our God, we thank you that you are indeed faithful. We see it in Scripture. We've seen it in our lives. And you're faithful when we see it. You're faithful when we don't. You're faithful when we feel it. You're faithful when we can't. You're faithful in spite of what our circumstances may tell us. And you are faithful even when we have to wait for the rest of our lives to see that which we long for. You're faithful. We thank you that you were faithful to send your only begotten son who came from heaven to earth, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect sinless life, died a substitutionary death on the cross for us, rose again the third day, and ascended back into heaven, and one day he's coming again. And we know, God, that you are faithful to save whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord who will receive Jesus Christ as Lord. And it's not based on our faithfulness. It's based on yours. And it's because of your faithfulness that we can have this blessed assurance and this living hope. So Father, I pray that we would embrace this faithfulness this year and cling to it and sing about it and talk about it 
God, I pray if there's anyone here today who has never given their hearts and their lives to Christ, that this would be their day of salvation. And God, we thank you in advance for all that you're going to do, not just today, but in this year to come. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.